This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordell. I'm joined by Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you both. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed a, yeah, I was rehearsing the harmony and I just, I, I crumbled in the moment. Oh, damn. 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 I was we waiting will, for it. We'll try again next week. We'll, we'll, we'll open the show properly one day. One day. It actually won't be awkward and stilted. <laughs> Tonight on Plato's Cave, we will take a look at the new animated Japanese film, A Silent Voice. It's about a teenage boy living with guilt and shame, living with the guilt and the shame of being a bully when he was younger. And we're also going to take a look at The Birth of a Nation. This is the 2016 film with that title. It's a based on a true story about Nat Turner, who led a slave rebellion in 1831 in Virginia, USA. But first, Land of Mine is the final film to be nominated this year for the Best Foreign Language Film Award at the Oscars that we will be discussing here on Plato's Cave, as we've previously covered all the other nominees. Land of Mine is a Danish-German co-production set just after the end of World War II along the west coast of Denmark, where German prisoners of war were being made to clear the the two million-plus mines that their fellow soldiers had previously put there during the war. The focus of the film is on a Danish army sergeant, Karl Leopold Rasmussen, who, despite hating the Germans, begins to feel very conflicted over forcing his German prisoners, most of whom are very young teenage boys, to engage in such a dangerous activity. How do we all feel about Land of Mine? And I believe the title has two meanings. I'll explain that up front. That's very clever, isn't it? Yeah. I think that was renamed as, uh, especially for us. Uh, the, the title... It does under, reek of under an English the title. Yeah, yeah. What, the Danish or German title. Yeah, exactly. I'm not mm. sure whether... It's, it's hard to get, uh, um, you know, double meanings in titles in translations anyway. But that's a weirdly fantastic title for a sort of prestige film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is yeah. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that was just for Australian audiences like The Country Doctor recently, uh, another sort of vaguely prestigious European film that got released here. I can't remember what its original title was, but it definitely was not The Country Doctor. <laughs> no. I don't know what's going on. Are we that simple that we need something, as you say, Thomas, fantastic in order to lure us into the well, cinema? Well, often when this happens, it's a bad sign. It means the film is done horribly overseas and they've sat on it for six months and re-released it under a different title, hoping we won't notice the difference. But... You know, this was nominated for an Academy Award, so presumably there's a bit of confidence behind it. But whether or not we do think it's a good film is a different question. Uh, I, I, I may have hinted at my thoughts there by you know, raising that issue. Oh, oh, there's quest- questioning in your your tone. I found this to be probably the most harrowing film experience of this year so far. To to be totally honest, um, it it is it, it, it is presented in these beautiful muted. Tones without being um, a, uh, you know, without being black and white, monochromatic, sort of more like Saving Private Ryan tones, um, which people will recognise. Um, I found that it 
I just thought that I thought this film could um, it could be a little bit of a one note film, but I was surprised by that that abs- that the color and the um, intrigue by it. Um, the 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 whole thing is is with these boys because they are boys um, that are soldiers, um, but German soldiers who seem to wear the entire uh, German army guilt um, in. Uh, with the with the Danes anyway, in being forced to after um, as prisoners of war to um, to to literally hand diffuse these mines on on the beach, and they we don't know really whether we assume they're conscripts because they're so young and it's at the end of the war as well. Um, we don't know what they have experienced as part of their war service or what they did as part of their war service. But I think that what is meant to be um, the more important point is that they are, they are boys and they're clearly boys and they're treated in a way that um, is quite abusive uh, you know, same as what we've been having the discussion here in Australia about, um, you know, the juvenile detention centres and the way people, the boys have been treated who may have done wrong. Um, these boys, uh, we, as I said, we don't know what they did did wrong or that they could have done something wrong as part of their war service, but we're not shown it. Uh, but it is a war crime, definitely a war crime against them. And um, I found it to be really hard to watch. They were also really cast. They were the most beautiful looking Aryan, you know, pride of Hitler's um, army, these boys. So, uh, you know, I think it was instantly created maternal and paternal sympathy for them. Uh they it was the whole film was this tension of waiting to see when someone was going to be blown up and that was really what the the film played on this this literally a ticking time bomb essentially that they were all um you know when was it going to be their turn so it very slowly uh brought us uh, familiarized us with them each as characters and drew us in and i found it to be really really emotional also with the the color and light as well going from that awful that, that awful scenario to then having um this beautiful beachscape actually at one stage i went oh this is actually a beautiful beach <laughs> with this awful awful stuff going on yeah i found this harrowing mm. as well i found mm. it a uh, very painful viewing even though i i picked a couple of little twists and turns in the narrative later on i saw them coming but in the meantime yes we we get to get to get acquainted with all of these young lads and their characters and personalities and see that they are indeed just boys and so so out of their depth and so trapped and um it is is very clearly incredibly perilous work and just seeing them painstakingly point into the sand with sticks in order to try to detect mines lying about 15 centimetres beneath the surface, if that, in order to then hand extract some sort of plug from the centre of them in order to have them diffused. um, Yeah, it was painful, painful viewing. And uh, I felt toyed with, and I accept that that is reasonable enough. That's um, not much to have suffered compared to these lads, who I suspect probably didn't really do anything too terrible during the war, in fact, other than... I don't think they would have got a chance at that age. (laughs) No, or or have done anything too terrible generally, probably. Uh, They're all probably entirely virginal, I would imagine. Um, uh, They just... Poor little lambs. I know. Uh, yeah. And I, I admire, 
the the filmmakers, a Danish, chiefly a Danish production, Danish filmmaker, for telling a story which actually, well, you wouldn't exactly say it cast the Nazis in a nice light because no one's exactly going to do that. But, um, you know, every now and again we think, surely there are no more World War II stories to be told. There's nothing else to dredge up. There's no new angle. But then... When some of the, the supposed good guys of World War II start to look at their own conduct during the war or in the immediate wake of it and start to actually interrogate it like is happening in this film, I think there are a lot of interesting stories still to emerge. I knew nothing of this particular story, this whole particular um, really quite colossal uh, undertaking across how many thousands of kilometres of coast would it have been? I mean, we just see one stretch of beach. Was there about two two and a half million mines or something close to 2. that? 2.2 million, I 2. think 2. the film 2. said. Yes, yeah. and, and granted, the Germans did put them there, yeah. but by and large, I don't think 16-year-old boys placed them there in their thousands. No. And, um, yeah, there's a, a huge imbalance there in terms of the justice meted out to as many of these boys are, as are going to survive this um, harrowing film uh, the, and the harrowing real events it's based on uh, compared to what they could possibly have even got up to in the war in its closing days. Mm. Really, really distressing viewing, but strangely heartwarming ultimately. I, I, look, I concur with everything you've set up to a, to a point. Um, and, and I agree that these it's really great these more complex stories are coming out, that it wasn't just goodies versus baddies. And, and I think we've begun to... We, we've seen a lot in cinema now this idea that not all Germans were... Were you know the, were, were villains? That's a um, hashtag, Thomas. Yeah, not, not <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, re- regular German army was different from Nazi. We've even seen films, you know, such as Kate Shortland's film Law, which sort of explores the fact that not you know that there are children of Nazis who are guilty by association. We've seen films like the the Book Thief, where we see that people had to join the Nazi Party just to stay safe. You know, not even all Nazis, all people who identified as being Nazis, were necessarily bad. It was so much more con. Voluted, well, hang on, the people I identified with probably were, but not everyone who joined the party were necessarily doing it because they believed that rhetoric. And this film reinforces that. And, and we, I think we've known for quite a while now that the German or the Nazis, when they got desperate, they conscripted teenage boys and forced them to fight. And, um, and, and, and it is nice seeing this, this, this angle played out. And like you said, Cerise, it's a pretty bold and self-critical film for, for the Danes to make, to say that we, we were committing some pretty horrible atrocities oh, yeah, against these, atrocities. Against mm. these prisoners of war um, who are also children. Uh, so I definitely like that dynamic. I, I found the guy who played the sergeant, the Danish sergeant, a, a terrific character. It establishes straight away that he has... We don't have to get a backstory. We just know he hates the Germans, probably for extremely good reason, and he's a violent, angry man, and we see that contempt he has for the boys. And for a lot of the film, I like the complexity where he starts doing things towards them that are kind, but you're not too sure whether he's genuinely caring for them or it's a pragmatic thing. Mm. Like these kids weren't given anything to eat, and he starts to kind of sneak food away for them. And I like the ambiguity about... Although they maintained lovely haircuts. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that ambiguity about, well, is he being humane now or is, is he being pragmatic? The film just really lost me, maybe a third towards the end, where I found his transformation became suddenly completely one thing and then he oscillated between the two. You know, this kind of character with a strong resolve seemed to change his mind suddenly very rapidly and quickly over the past over the last say 30 or 40 minutes and i found the film became excruciatingly contrived oh. that, that that tension you spoke about yeah. 
that there's a, there's a scene at the start of the film where the kids are going off into a bunker to take turns trying to defuse a mine. I almost felt like walking out of the cinema. I was so sick with nerves and oh, tension. Oh, that was an incredible scene. It was incredible. unbelievable. Mm. By the end of the film, I could tell five minutes in advance every time a mine was going to go off and that there is a sequence where, you know, things take a dramatic turn for the worse that I could see coming a mile off. I couldn't yeah. believe this sequence played out the way it did. And I actually, I, I, I'm one of those horrible people who had, who stifled a laugh in the cinema. It was so silly. Really? You stifled it. I did. Yeah, I stifled oh it. Yeah, I, I didn't do that kind of arrogant guffaw. I, I think but, I, was, um, I was completely uh, taken in by it before then. I, I can yep. see how you would, if you if you hadn't been engaged by a certain, you know, a certain emotional level by that point. Yeah, but I had, and I was starting to lose the faith, and then that scene happened, and really? and I was yeah. gone. The film lost me. There you go. Yeah, and I, maybe I'm, I I maybe I'm be- inhuman. I thought it was beautifully written. I think yeah. the director is actually <laughs> so. more of a writer than he's got a small body of work, and I, I think he's more of a writer than a director. He's only re- directed two or three films, from what I believe. But it's clearly an acclaimed film. I mean, I'm clearly in oh, the yeah. radical minority here. I just the potential to explore these ethics. I mean, it was there; they were exploring it, and it was so such a strong film. But for me, it got ruined ultimately by melodrama. Mm. Yeah, there, there were one or two flip-flops that were a bit abrupt and it wasn't mm. just the uh, sergeant, but there was another character who's quite peripheral to the action but importantly peripheral and has a, a, a little in of her own. And certain, she yeah, that, kind of represents yeah. the, the scene with yeah. the, the, yeah. the, the innocent Danish girl as well who goes wandering. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm Again, to... that was like, really? But it still <laughs> held me to the very end, even yeah. though I started to see these... these uh, how events would play out, I, I and yes, I but nonetheless, uh, I was still pretty taken by this, and still pretty shook up by the end of it, and in need of um, some comforting. Yeah. <laughs> I think in some ways, maybe we needed to see uh, things. Uh, we needed to be able to preempt these things before they came uh, at the end. Otherwise, we were just going to be completely emotionally ripped apart. So. <laughs> It wasn't that I didn't mind the kind of move towards a more humane mode of of storytelling, and you know, I sort of wanted that 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 sense of warmth and tragedy. It just the, the story started to make really huge leaps, and the plot devices felt too calculated, and it just I, it broke the spell for me. And mm. I'm a bit sad because it seems like I missed out on an experience that clearly a lot of other people had. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're a monster. It's I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> You're hard and cold. <laughs> oh well. Caldwell? No, Coldwell. Oh, ow! <laughs> well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. You've just heard me being burned badly by my co-hosts here on Plato's Cave. You're listening to Three Triple R. We've just been talking about Land of Mine. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio Three Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. We all uh, woke up to the news that John Clark died the, 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 uh, yesterday afternoon. We got the news this morning. And it's something that I'm incredibly saddened by, actually. He was a really remarkable man. I mean, I don't think Australia has too many legitimate comedy legends. Well, he's not even Australian. New Zealand, Australia. We, we, we adopted him as our own Cerise from your, from your own country. We adopt but, um, them all, even Cerise. And Philip Judd. <laughs> and Philip Judd as John well. Judd. But John Clark was an absolutely remarkable man. I mean, not only was he such a great comedian and satirist, but he was a lovely actor. We, not that long ago, we spoke about him in the month of Sundays and, of course... 
in death in Brunswick. He was a terrific writer on, on television and, and, and film. And, you know, he holds his own, I think, with, with the world greats when it comes to comedy and satire. I don't think he ever put a foot wrong. And... And it's hard to talk about because I, I, I do know some of his family. A lot of Triple R people do know some of his family. I'm, I'm really feeling for them now. And, and I have met him a few times. And he remembered my name when I met him, which I thought was amazing. There's no reason why he would have to do that. Mm. Really humble, gentle, generous, and really funny man. And I suspect, Cerise, you've also got very strong memories of him growing up in New Zealand. Yeah, he was... Um a very legendary figure in New Zealand and his character of Fred Dagg, uh, his um, invented sport of farnarkling, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> still has a, a very large cult following, even though exactly how it might um, be played is, is a little unclear at best. And uh, even actually a rather wonderful parody songwriter. There's an alternative New Zealand anthem he wrote called We Don't Know How Lucky We Are, and I would urge anyone out there to, to look that up and that'll put a smile on your dial. Yeah. It has been fun revisiting these clips. When I lived in the UK and came back to Australia, my old boss sent me a, a Clark and Dawes sketch saying, this is outrageous, I can't believe your politicians carry on like this. And I had to explain to him, it's, it's actually it's satire. It's incredibly well-made satire, but it, it, it really does sound like the real thing doesn't it? Yeah, totally genius. And the, the whole idea of not making any effort whatsoever to resemble the people he's, um, I hesitate to say imitating, but personifying. Yep. I mean, yeah, drivel is drivel. And so political drivel is political drivel. You don't have to wear the wig and put on the makeup and actually resemble whichever clown it is this week who's being sent up mercilessly. Just that the deadpan style and, yeah, look, really minor anecdote, but the very, very first time I met him was at, like, a student party because, uh, yeah, I, I, I do know some of his family and um, it was the night before the Games was going to premiere on TV. Brilliant. And I remember him just, just casually saying, I'm a bit nervous. I, I don't know whether this one will work out and if people will like it. And the rest of the, ta- the, rest of the cast are so talented, but I am a bit nervous. And I just said... Mr. Clark, I'm pretty sure it's going to be okay. You're, you're very good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, lovely man. Um, genuinely quite upset to hear that. And like I said, my heart goes out to, to his family. A Silent Voice is a Japanese... Is the Japanese animated film or anime based on a manga series by Yoshitoki Oima that began in 2011. It's a high school drama about a teenage boy named Shoya Ishida who we are introduced to just as he is about to commit suicide. We then learn that when he was younger, he bullied a girl who was deaf named Shoko Nishimiya. And the majority of the film is about Shoya trying to reconnect with Shoko, overcome his social isolation and find redemption. The film is written by Raiko Yoshida, who has written for film and television anime since 1994, and it's directed by Naoko Yamada, an emerging anime director. Uh, This means that the director, writer and series creator are all women in an industry that is significantly male-dominated. Is one point of interest in a silent voice. Well, what's another one, Thomas? <laughs> well, that's when I hand over to you both to get your thoughts on a silent Cerise. voice, which has <laughs> been reasonably well received. It has. Look, this this held me for a while, but I found it as a one of those films that's frustrating and it labours a point um, for mine much too long. It, it, has, and one very curious device that I think is overly um, 
utilised, which is this peculiar business of the protagonists, uh, all the people in the protagonist worlds having an X on their head for much of the film to signify simply that he is not on some sort of, mm, not exactly speaking terms, but on any sort of relatable terms with them, that he's so um, removed from the mainstream of society that he's just unable to form any sort of bonds with his peers. But then I found that the way that people here forged friendships in this film, so peculiar anyway, so mechanical and schematic, um, that I I found the whole idea of friendship in this film was very peculiar. Characters Mm. would simply approach another one and say, someone over there would like to be your friend. And uh, these are people who are what age? Teens, late teens? it, it, It did not have a ring of truth for me, it just felt very weird. And um, Do you think that maybe uh, that, that could be a cultural thing? I, I think it could be to some extent, but surely things aren't that stilted yeah. on the playground. I mean, if people can bully each other quite freely, uh, as, as happens a lot, especially at the start of the film, where we see how much of a nasty pasty uh, the protagonist is. Quite and, global. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. so that all, that all seems yeah. quite naturalistic let's say for want of a better term for what is anime and is obviously very stylized and well animated um but then this whole business of the way that everyone else relates to another generally and how they express their feelings to each other is it's like really wooden line readings um maybe it sounds better in the original language but i have my doubts maybe yeah, you know, maybe it is just woodenly translated but i couldn't believe in any of those relationships yeah. not not one of them really i think i think you might have just beautifully articulated the way i feel about it because i was having a chat with with faith who does our podcast before um, coming on here and um, and she enjoyed it but she's much younger than us so i'm wondering because it is a very teen focused film that that may may make a difference to it. I'll just uh, say that because uh, I don't believe this film was pitched to me. Not saying that um, someone of my age um, couldn't enjoy it, but I had the same feeling as Cerise. I just couldn't. I, just, I literally didn't connect with this film at all, and I'm not sure why. I didn't feel like it was badly made. The animation is beautiful. Um, it's got some interesting little Japanese cultural quirks to it. Um, it was an interesting opening sequence to the Who My Generation. Mm. Uh, and uh, But I found that I just, yeah, didn't... I, I was bored, really. I, I just got bored. And I and maybe what you said, just in, in terms of you articulating that strange kind of stilted, odd relationship lack of connection connection thing maybe that is what i was feeling as well i'll be willing to ride on that <laughs> it's some um, i mean i'm clearly far removed from the target audience too and this is this is a teen film but i do for my job watch an awful lot of films f- for young people so i'm kind of on the way you're an honorary teen oh boy i'm so not <laughs> but yeah okay. uh, i can just picture my nieces rolling their eyes now <laughs> <laughs> what a dork I am. But um, bless them. But um, <laughs> um, I, I did find this engaging on, on a level. I, I especially the, towards the start of the film where the bullying is depicted, which I found really brutal, actually, and quite uncomfortable to watch in a way that impressed me. I think the film really tapped into that vicious, nasty bullying streak. And I then kind of admired the fact that the film looked at how this might impact on, on a bully who has completely realised how 
horrible he's been and he's now living with this awful guilt and along with it the social isolation, a lot of it very um, very hypocritical as well because other bullies then sort of turned on him. I like that dynamic but as the film went I got very uneasy with the fact that all this sympathy was being placed on him and yet the target of his bullying is a really underdeveloped character with not a heap of agency of her own. She spends the whole time, it, it seems to a running joke, that she spends the whole time apologising and kind of begging for him to be her, her friend and it made me start to feel really, really sick that she was just there to facilitate his emotional growth and I had massive problem with that and I think it's what made me, despite enjoying the film on some levels, made me really turn quite angrily against she it. She was a little dolly, wasn't she? She was a little dolly of the film, just kind of there yep. as an accessory and it should have been her film, really. There was no real scene. I mean, there's one bit where she kind of strikes out at him because he provokes her but there was no real bit where she sits him down to say, you really hurt me. Like, you made my life hell. You're an asshole. Yeah. Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, the whole time she, her heart's bleeding for him because he suffering and then there's a kind of supporting character who is another bully who kind of comes in and out of the narrative who again I don't think we we get a real sense of her ever kind of realising that what she's done is horrible and in fact I think the message is we just need to accept her for who she is and so things like that kind of pissed me off Mm. Yeah, there's a few characters that are very confusingly defined. So the the girl being bullied uh, has a younger sister. There's a bit of interesting gender confusion around her at first, but that doesn't really get explored for any particularly interesting uh, material. I don't know really why that was there. A yeah. story, a story red herring, but um, mm. apart from that, it just seemed a bit inconsequential, yeah. really. And I struggle to tell the parents from the children because they're not drawn especially differently. I had, was, I had a bit of problems yeah, with, that with that too. as well. <laughs> so I was getting a bit confused when people's parents are beating kids up and going, hang on, is this one of the bully kids or is yeah. this now a parent striking out at a child? And didn't, didn't our main happened? character also have an older sister as well? Uh, yeah. Um, no, I get no, younger. Younger. No, okay, there we go. We, we, we're confused. Yeah. Um. yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was confused and, with the characters. And some of the editing was really odd. And I think the film was almost deliberately putting you often in scenes where you're not too sure, is this a flashback or a, a flash forward or a dream sequence? Yeah. It, it often took a while to figure out the space of each scene. Quite appropriately, a note has just been written on a piece of paper for us. She About existed, the but is never shown. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. This is Faith, who does our podcast, who also <laughs> now provides us notes during the show. <laughs> writes notes, And gives yes. us perspectives that we are missing. <laughs> and lets us facts faith. that yes. we missed. <laughs> and lets us know when a film was good when we all think it wasn't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of... Um, I, yeah, I felt that it went. It, it continued to go over the same ground as well. It was just mining the same mine. <laughs> That's a word of tonight. It kept on mining that same um, same idea over and over again, and and not really. It felt a little stuck. The film really, and it was um, a, gen, a generous length. I think it went for a little over, it's over two, two hours. hours. Yeah. yeah, and it does have false ending syndrome too. It just. Kept on going on. It kept and on, on going yeah. on and on. Yeah, but you know, it was a it was a lovely film to uh, look at. Its its positives were that for me, and the I, I enjoyed all the little cultural references in it. I don't believe that the emotional stuff was culturally referential. I think that was universal in the way that most films are, that everyone can understand the uh, the emotional um, thrust of it. But there were a lot of things about the cherry blossoms and the feeding of carp and a lot of 
different foods that they and they had go to and, a cat cafe and they go to <laughs> meow meow club. Yes, actually, that's quite a nice moment because it's hinting that meow meow club might be a different kind of club it altogether. Is. It <laughs> is. Yeah, there, there's a few nice visual gags. There's one great scene where a character suddenly appears several meters in the distance, impossibly, but it's a sight gag when he realizes he's embarrassed himself and then suddenly he's way in the distance, yeah, which I found yeah, really funny. Cute. I mean, I got I got a few laughs out and, of it. And were you? Did you feel that you were being toyed into thinking you were about to see a bit of upskirt photography at one point? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? This one yeah, weird we scene where secret oh, yeah. camera footage and it's immediately... That's, there, there was a lot of that, yeah. There yeah. was a lot of kind of pelvic, but that was him not being able to look them in the face, wasn't it? But this it? was this particular thing where they're watching some footage secretly taken on a Ferris wheel and it was oh, just, okay, just a bit off. And how yeah. was that footage obtained anyway? And what? Just what? I, Why? I, this is For getting who? way off topic, but I did read an article recently about the problem of what they call fan service in anime, which is that kind of pervy stuff is ex- expected. It wasn't in this film, but it's felt like this film almost flirted with it its absence. It flirted with it. It did. Yeah. And, but then there's this curious matter, as we raised, as you raised, Thomas, at the very outset of this, that there are a lot of women were in the creative roles in this film, which makes it all the more peculiar. Well, maybe they were yeah. drawing attention to the fact they weren't doing that. Do you think because it has been critical of them. Well, yeah. I don't know. Mm, we'll get maybe. letters. Whenever we talk about anime, we get so many emails. <laughs> people, it's, it's the only thing that prompts people to write to us. They get very passionate. <laughs> Which is, which is idiots. wonderful. Which, 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 is, which is no, no, no. It's, it's wonderful. People take it seriously. Um, the other thing I just want to say is I was also uncomfortable about the use of suicide as a plot device in this film. I, I, I don't. I, you know, suicide's a very, very difficult and often very complex topic. And I think the motivation for characters in this film to to attempt is 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 flimsy and not um, not well thought out enough. I think it's simply there as a plot device. I don't think it's there as a as a serious depiction of you know this extremely horrible thing that happens. I think it's I think it's there to try and show a depth of emotion. Um, that this is yeah, and that's a, that, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a cheap shortcut it for is, me too. It yeah. is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, I think it was meant to illustrate that bullying can have terrible consequences, and perhaps for all parties involved in bullying but still yeah it does it did it didn't feel uh real to me a lot in this film i didn't i didn't draw a lot of feelings i did not have all the feels you, at all you did talk about thomas the being the the bullying sequence being or the sequences of bullying being quite um devastating in a certain way um i don't know whether you noticed but there was one kind of bully montage that had almost like a honky tonk piano playing over the top <laughs> which was rather odd <laughs> there were peculiar things about yeah, yeah it's a it's a curious film i sort of did still like it despite the way i'm sounding i mean i was engaged and i sat through the entire film i don't regret the time spent but there are things that did worry me mm. we've been talking about a silent voice screening at the moment. We have also mentioned suicide. If you, if you do need to talk about issues that are, are, are troubling you, if you're not feeling well, please do call Lifeline. Their number is 131114. You're listening to Plato's Cave on 3 R. 3 R. So The Birth of a Nation is the feature film directorial debut of actor Nate Parker, who also wrote the screenplay, plays the lead role, and is one of the film's producers. It provocatively has the same name as the 1915 film by W. Uh, D.W. Griffith, uh, which 
as we discussed a few weeks back when we looked at the documentary 13th, was a landmark film in terms of developing cinematic storytelling techniques, but it was also responsible for distorting history and perpetuating very harmful stereotypes about African Americans. This 2014 film is set in Virginia, USA in 1831, and it's based on the true story of Nat Turner, whom Parker plays. Turner was a slave preacher who led a violent slave rebellion. And before I should go any further, this film has an interesting background. It was very much the darling of Sundance, not this year, but last year. It's over a year old. It was set to get a small cinema release here. Um, but there was a, a lot of background controversy about Nate about Nate Parker and the mm. film kind of got shelved and now it's available in Australia on home entertainment and pay-per-view. And DVD. And, yeah, home entertainment. I'll yep. say what home entertainment is. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know that term. <laughs> it's all-encompassing. Is it? Yes. <laughs> mm. um, we, we, we might get on to that and people mm. suggested why was this film shelved and, and not other films. But um, And Fox paid, I think, the most amount ever from Sundance for the distribution rights, something like $17.5 million for this film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we should talk about the film first, but I'm just flagging that this film had a huge fall from grace. Mm, yes. Yeah, so, so what, what do we actually think of this film, The Birth of a Nation? It's captivating. I watched this as recently as late last night. Yes, as did I. Mm. Yeah, and um, uh, it's not exactly an unfamiliar story, except in as much as the key detail of it being about a rebellion that I didn't actually know had happened. But I've seen similar sort of narratives in recent times, like, say, 12 Years a Slave, where uh, somebody who has been enslaved finally casts aside the shackles and um, through one means or another, in this case through a lot of blood shedding, um, which is not exactly... Uh, difficult to sympathise with the character for perpetrating because, um, well, because slavery. Uh, the uh, it's curious. This, this is another one of these films where the the person in the, the, the chief focus of the film is enslaved by a less obviously evil um, plantation owner than some of the others you get to meet in the course of the film who who veer from being quite well drawn as characters to actually being really caricatured. There's one outrageous southern, you know, gormous half-wit caricature we meet towards the end of the film who provides almost a tipping point when actually something genuinely very uh, upsetting to watch occurs in a shed uh, by means of trying to get some slaves to cooperate with. You know, so some, there's some really yeah. horrific imagery in this. That's, some that's, that's a really harrowing yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah, there are a few really harrowing mm. scenes. The violence in this is pretty unsparing in fact it's not sugar coating it seems much but I, I still I begin to find this actual narrative a little familiar and it seems I, I don't know that I'm really very entitled to complain about this being becoming a little overdone or over familiar somehow because these stories are very important that we not lose sight of and slavery was almost unparalleledly horrific there's not much else there to to put it up there with other than the Holocaust, really, in terms of humans treating other humans unspeakably, abominably for the, um, you know, the, the most appalling of reasons, for want of a much better term. So um, I, I was affected by this film. I did have 
in the back of my mind throughout watching it um, some awareness of the controversy you have alluded to, Thomas, which did make it a little hard for me to entirely sympathise with the protagonist simply because I know he is the actor, director, was it writer, producer and so on, yeah. who was at the centre of a, um, a sexual assault controversy. A, a, a rape case, actually, yes, yeah. That yeah. has really scuppered this film's chances of reaching a much wider audience, which on the face of it, it deserves. But... Um, you know, we get into really ethically mm. complex territory here when we decide when we start to d- decide what sort of fate a film deserves on the basis of the well, conduct well, of people have said why has this person? film gone down yeah. when there are other films by men yes. who have been accused or convicted white even men in particular yes. white mm. men yes yeah. let's yeah. say Affleck's for example yeah mm. yeah well the comparison was drawn yes. to Casey Affleck especially once in one. An Oscar. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And look, that's a film we, we spoke about and, and mostly praised as well. And, you know, so yeah, I guess, I don't know if yeah, that makes us guilty yeah. of this as well. But, uh, but um, I, look, I, I don't know. How, I mean, I think that definitely took some of the, 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 the gloss off because this film was the big, big story of Sundance. I also think that possibly it isn't as great a film. Ultimately, it's mm. ju- I don't think it's just that good a film. Mm. Uh, I think without the, the controversy, you're saying. I think yeah. Aside yeah. from that, I think mm. the politics are so bang on. And when the film came out, and before this controversy happened, it, the timing was brilliant. It was when people were talking about the lack of black representation at the Oscars and this angry, aggressive film about injustice, and then um, you know the African American people rising up against their tormentors. The, the timing was perfect. But I don't think this film is ultimately that good. Mm. I don't think he's a particularly good actor. Or maybe he is, but he was mis- he miscast himself in this role. He just doesn't have the gravitas, and I and, and mm. it, for me it was it didn't have the kind of ephemeral sort of transcendent beauty of twelve year twelve years as a slave, which is a film about horrific things that somehow is a work of cinematic art. But at the same time, it didn't have the kind of politics of the exploitation violence we got in Django Unchained, it felt somewhat awkwardly between mm. a prestige film and a genre film and it doesn't quite work, especially since the, the, the big point of interest is the rebellion and it takes forever to get to that mm-hmm. bit and then it's over in a heartbeat. I completely agree with you, Thomas. I think that um, when Cerise was talking about um, seeing this story a lot um, I don't think it's a problem of seeing the story a lot. I think it's seeing it done differently and we could say that as well about um, the Holocaust films as Cerise also mentioned but then something like Son of Saul comes out and you realise that there is many different ways to be able to tell the same story or variants of the story. And I don't think this did anything differently. In fact, I think he tr- it felt like he couldn't really find his voice with the film. It sort of went from being a quieter, um, more internalised movie to something that was more Spielbergian or something that Mel Gibson would create. Um uh, and it didn't. It didn't know where to really fit. I did. In, I did enjoy it as a watch. I didn't find it that that um, took away from it being a good film. But it w- certainly wasn't a great film. So yeah, it's perfectly watchable. Yeah, it's perfectly yeah. watchable. But all that that hype around it, it it wasn't that good anyway. The the thing around the the rape that you were you, you mentioned, or both Cerise and you mentioned, was. Um, 
I find um, I understand a lot of people, and that that was really the thing that um, that meant this film wasn't distributed, wasn't it, um, Thomas? Do you well, that's yeah. what some of seemingly. Argued. I mean, and they, seemingly. I, th- yeah. I, I also heard that he didn't perform very well in interviews or something like that. Something very yeah. odd like that. And, and also the fact that the, the, the rape happens in the film as well, and that's that, a key. Yeah, and that is an actual mm. fictional, and it's fictionalized. Yeah, yeah it didn't and happen that, like that is a problem. Actually, mm. um, the the rape wasn't. It wasn't. Um, um, just Nate Parker, who was accused, it was his friend who was John Saracen, who co-wrote yeah. or wrote the story, co-wrote the story with him, and the fact that they they chose to put in a rape scene that then um, Nate Parker in the character gets to avenge mm. or be the hero of seems to be somewhat distasteful, um, knowing what he had in his past. Although he was acquitted, we do have to say that Nate Parker was acquitted. Saracen served some time but then was resentenced and acquitted again or was, you know, vacated. So yeah. there was – but there was a lot of stuff around the woman who was – who accused them of raping her that um, – she got harassed by them once the accusation was made and once it it was going to court. So there's a lot around this story. It is actually quite um, quite detailed. And but the thing is, for see for me, my blanket approach um, is that I say separate art from the artist, and that someone should be held accountable personally, but not necessarily professionally, especially in the case of film because. Um, it uh, is a collective art form and there are so many people involved in it. So it's really, I find it awful and quite uh, disturbing for other people to have to wear um, the, the wear the guilt of our auteur, looking at films as in through auteur culture of one person having made them. But this one is a really, really hazy... I, I understand it's why... It's tricky. And also, yeah. I think the, the, the rape's treated badly in this film. It, again, it's, it's, it's used as a motivating force for it the is, men yeah. to enact. It, and it, yeah. the women have no agency in that. And not just one character, but two characters. There are two women in this film who are raped, and that is simply there to enrage the men to take action. And I, I hate that as a plot device. Yeah, yeah, no, I... I I absolutely, definitely agree with you there. But um, it's I understand why people would choose not to see a film because they feel that a filmmaker, you know, they don't want to support uh, the work of a filmmaker who is, you know, um, dubi- of dubious character. But, um, uh, yeah, anyway, this film is, yeah... Interesting. Mm. We will no doubt mm. come back to this issue. It is yeah. so complex. It is. And, and, it is and, and a really wa- complex. The story behind it is is hugely yeah. complex. It's worthwhile having a look. And actually. there are people with alternate points of views, the ones we've expressed tonight, who I have a lot of respect for, but would fiercely disagree with us. So we, we, you know, this is a conversation we're leaving open. It's, it's a difficult subject. It's one. Yeah, I think it's one that people should read up on themselves and make their own minds. Yeah. Up. Mm. Well, we better keep. We better get out of here. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, what a got note. Away from oh, us. It's been a bleak show, hasn't it? Oh. <laughs> We discussed Land of Mine. It's on limited release courtesy of Palace Films. A Silent Voice is on limited release courtesy of Man Man Entertainment. And The Birth of a Nation is available on video on demand, streaming services and home entertainment courtesy of 20th Century Fox. You've been listening to Thomas Caldwell, Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood on Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.